Hello friends, welcome to the 8th house of astrology, ruler of occult, magic, mystery, and truth. Join me, Sarah, a developing psychic medium with a scientific mind, and my good friend Eliza, a tarotist and thanatologist, as we explore, through the lens of the tarot, the healing hidden within the deepest and sometimes the darkest corners of the human experience. Welcome. Sure. Um, so I'm Andrew McGregor. I uh, am a tarot reader and uh, artist in Toronto. I also run a store called The Hermit's Lamp. And I've been, I guess, walking a spiritual path pretty much all my life. I started reading cards and getting into magic when I was like 12 and 13. I, the way I express it is I came up with this saying about tarot at some point along the way, which is uh, tarot is a, an engine or a machine that runs on mystery and spits out truth. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I wrote a series of blog posts at one point trying to explain all the ways in which tarot works. Right. And for me, they work in all these ways. Right. It's yeah. The artwork, there's the knowledge, there's the psychicness, there's the psychology, there's the conversation, there's, you know, all these different pieces and they all just blend seamlessly. And when I'm reading the cards, I don't differentiate between any of that. I just do the reading. And then and afterwards, if we were to talk about it, then we could differentiate those pieces. But I think I learned about you from others that I had listened to. And they were putting up GoFundMe's, you know, like calling it the Phoenix and all this stuff because mm -hmm. your shop had completely burned down. So... I was just really interested in someone who was kind of going through that. Do you want to, <laughs> maybe we could start there because that was just mind blowing to me that, um, you know, how you go about kind of losing everything and. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess the story is this in uh, March 20th of, 2019 um the shop burned down right there was uh as far as they can tell some kind of electrical issue and everything everything was destroyed and i mean and when i say burned down i mean the building wasn't burned down but when you have a fire and you have like a, like sort of a bigger fire and this was a big fire um everything you know the, the firemen come in with their hoses, there's smoke everywhere, everything gets water damaged, everything's just destroyed one way or another, right? And, you know, it was, uh, it was a rough time, you know? I mean, first of all, sort of faced with this question of like, holy crap, everything that I had going on is now stopped, right? Like there's, there's nothing, nothing moving forward at this time, you know? And, uh, you know, and you start looking at where, where things are, where you can go, you know, the landlord didn't have adequate insurance, so they, they didn't rebuild, um, for a really long time. So I needed to find somewhere else. Uh, plus they were, you know, there's a lot of, uh, understandable tension where they felt like I was not understandable. They, they felt like I was to blame for this problem that had also cost them and damaged their, their life in a lot of ways. Um, and they couldn't really accept the sort of uh, uh, accident of it, you know, but, yeah. uh, 
Yeah. And so, you know, March, uh, August, I reopened. So June, I took over a studio space near my house to start seeing clients again. Uh, August, I reopened the store in a, in a smaller capacity within uh, another store that a friend of mine runs, where it still is now, um, near Blair and Dufferin. Um, and slowly we've you know, expanded. And I would say now the store is bigger than it was pre-fire in terms of inventory and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it was a lot of like, what the hell do I do, you know? And I can tell you if, you, if you have a business, I mean, or for your home or whatever, please, please, please make sure you have good insurance, you know? Because like when I, when I met with my insurance adjuster the next day, um, you know, one of the first things he said to me was basically, he's like, I'm just going to cut you a check for $10,000 tomorrow. So you can just start like paying bills and live and whatever. And we'll figure out the rest from there, you know? And that's awesome. Having, having a good insurance adjuster and having good insurance yeah. uh, really let me like get through that time, you know, yeah. because, and, and of course, like the community rallying together around the, the GoFundMe and stuff like that, you know, I mean, that was a tremendous uh, support financially for sure, but also really emotional, you know, yeah. like, you know, three, 300 people came forward and gave me 15,000 American dollars to see me through that time. Right. Like that's a huge amount of love, you know, on both levels, yeah. money yeah. and, you know, and, and energy and attention wise. Right. And, you know, that's really, uh, just so moving, you know, and when you go through, when I went through times like this, you know, when you go through grief, I feel like all of those little things lift you up a little bit, you know, they, they, they buoy you in the right direction. And then when it's like four in the morning and you're sitting there staring at the ceiling going, Oh my God, I'm just, I'm ruined. Nothing will ever happen again or whatever. Right. Or I can't get out of this. Or I'm so emotionally overwrought. Um, and then do you have those people who did all these things or you log on to Facebook or whatever, you see another well-wisher or whatever. And, you know, it, it nudges the balance. It makes a difference. Um, and you're no stranger to loss either. You're kind of an old, it's old hat in a way, unfortunately. Um, and I was interested in talking to you about that just because uh, having listened to your Hermit's Lamp podcast i've learned a lot of the things that have gone on that have sort of happened that that you're talking about here you know i mean i guess the the first the first the one of the biggest things is you know when i was 14 i almost died in a car accident um you know i was uh, in dominican republic and i was driving a motor scooter and i got hit by a dump truck and broke my leg and spent a month in hospital and sort of two three months unable to do anything and took me a year to really learn how to walk again after that you know so that I had already been interested in tarot at that point I already had owned a deck and was reading cards you know at some level um and like I'd already encountered Aleister Crowley at that point and was reading his work and trying to make sense of it and do things you know Mm -hmm. and what really happened post-accident was um, I wanted I wanted to understand everything, right? Yeah. I'm like, well, what's going on? Why, you know, why did this happen? What's the nature right. of the universe? 
what's going on out there. And so uh, I really just chewed through everything I could get my hands on, right? So like I lived in a small town in Ontario and I read every philosophy, religion, psychology book that I could mm-hmm. get my hands on, right? And, yeah. you know, this was the 80s. So like accessing spiritual books, not so much, you know. We're not, like not exactly so the same age. So within right? a year yeah. or so. Yeah, yeah. Right. I get it. So mm-hmm. not so easy. Right. I mean, I, it, once or twice a year, they'd have the psychic uh, fairs and I, you know, my mom would bring me and that's where I would buy my stuff for the most part. Right. Or occasionally mm-hmm. like my first deck, we were at the mall. There used to be a, a chain of stores called Kohl's books. And mm-hmm. uh, I went in with my grandmother and they had uh, the mythic tarot had just come out. And, uh, you know, I was like, Hey, Nan, will you buy this for me? And she's like, of course I will. She always put everything I was into, right? <laughs> That's great. And um, you know, but I started, I started just chewing through everything, and then, and I also started um, when I would find people, I'd be like, "You tell me things. What's going on?" Yeah, like, yeah. So you know, that's like, what I'm doing to you right now, <laughs> right? Yeah. So like it's the the ex Jesuit priest who ran the youth group at the church in town, right? I would ask him questions and, you know, uh, a bit later on, like my friend's family were involved in evangelical Christian stuff. And I would go for, go for coffee with the, with the pastor from their church and, and ask him questions and anybody else I could find, you know? And, and as I moved away from small town to bigger town to Toronto, that just kind of continued. Right. And as my, you know, capacity to access material, living in different places and whatever that continued and you know so but it really set me set me deeply on that road you know like uh in Mm -hmm. in, uh are you you saying this all occurred uh this was in place when you had the accident no this is so so i was already interested but my real drive Mm. for it occurred afterwards you know oh okay so like you know, there I am and like kind of opened up that like what why why did this happen? Like yeah, and I'm like, you know, I'm in like grade nine and ten and I'm like reading Nietzsche and stuff, right? And like yeah, you know, and everybody else is not reading that stuff. And <laughs> yeah, you know, I wrote I wrote an essay for like history class comparing uh spirituality of the Templars with uh Nietzsche's ideas and uh Aleister Crowley and Satanism, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and like oh sure. And yeah, that, you know, same here. Like, let's get right into it, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it was it was uh, that was kind of the impact of that stuff. So in high school, I kind of like, you know, by the time I get to high school, I sort of hung out with, you know, the miscellaneous collection of misfits. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the nerds and, you know, the hoods. Like, Whatever happened to hoods? They were the best. I don't know. Yeah, I was like <laughs> the only only punk in my high school for a while. You know. Yeah. And, and I used to just go downtown all weekend because like, I lived near Toronto at that point. And I would just take the train down, go to shows and meet people and hang out downtown. Yeah. Live yeah. that kind of life, you know? And um, those were good times. Yeah. And I think that all, a lot of that came from, from certainly that experience. But I, but I think also that I, um, you know, I think I woke up to what I call the sort of the hypocrisy of a lot of stuff very very early on like well before that and you know mm-hmm. that was part of the problem right like an unwillingness to sort of look past or an inability to look past things that were yeah. that were problematic so yeah yeah 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost a struggle for me now. I went into, now I'm in a social work program, becoming a master of social work. And it's hard because I grew up that way. I grew up questioning everything and not being okay with the status quo. And, and so yeah. um, definitely a punk at heart and mm-hmm. embrace that whole thing. And um, as my husband says, he said, his, his famous quote to his mother was punk is not a phase. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I married him (laughs) (laughs) because it really is. I believe that too, but um, I think social work is punk. (laughs) So I, um, you know, fighting for social justice and advocating for For the, uh, you know, the uh, oppressed. So, Mm -hmm. and standing up to the hypocrisy and all that stuff. So uh, it is a trip to be in that program and have my lived experience and now, and having been a mom and have grown Mm -hmm. kids now and being in this program with kids, my kids age, uh, you know, young adults and just like, it's such a different world. And it's, it's really fascinating, but I'm forced to really look at myself and it's, it's been a, I've been in it a year now and it's, I keep saying like I studied death, right. And now I'm kind of studying life and Mm -hmm. social behavior and, um, human behavior. So I always joke that I'm like, death was nothing. Life is the hard stuff. (laughs) I think it's true. I think it's true. Yeah. 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 For sure. So, so going back to losses, I guess things are on yeah. the subject yeah. now, right? Um, so uh, my, my two of my brothers died within six six weeks of each other. Oh, uh, I had forgotten one, that. That's one intense. by yeah, one by suicide and one by uh, uh, accidental overdose. You know. And oh, oh, both, both, just yeah. so yeah. you know. I get it. It was, uh, yeah, that was another shitty time. Sorry, can I swear here? Yeah. In some ways, I'm not so sure with these, with those, with these losses, you know? Like, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I reprioritized my life a bit. I had kids at this point, you know, like I had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, They're uncles. Um, yeah. Right. Like I had, I had like a four month old, you know, and, um, and four month old, like a two and a half, almost three year olds, you mm-hmm. know, and like, it's a lot of, it was a lot of just essentially trying, keep, keep fit, trying to and return yeah. to how do I engage in life? Right. How do I, right. how do I not just sort of disappear under this? You know, I was just tired of people telling me they were sorry about my life, mm. you know? Yeah. And which, you know, and people mean well, and I get it, right? You know, but like, it's this thing, grief comes up and people say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And especially like, you know, one sibling, it's like, yeah, people are really sorry. Two within a short period of time, people don't even know what to do with that. You know, right. I, I mean, they I almost just like, like cast you aside at that point. Well, it's not even, they're just like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And that must be so hard. And like, you know, all these things. And, and they have these big reactions to it, right? because you're living it (laughs) their empathetic thing but also it starts to be like i'm tired of being a person who other people feel sorry for my circumstances 
and that yeah. dominates the conversation right and so you know i remember kind of like moving away from that pushing away from that and being like not talking about it very much or you know developing ways just to short circuit those conversations because sometimes they could be really prolonged especially you know because my, my especially my 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 full brother my brother was uh, closest to me was very integrated in my life like we were very close you know and so we had tons of friends and everybody knew him and you know all this kind of stuff and so so then they were also having their reactions and I'm like I got nothing to hold you with I just need out of this conversation you know yeah, yeah. and uh almost like a responsibility by default yeah well well it's easy or you to do, felt right? that yeah and, and I think that you know I think it's a challenge around a lot of things you know like I, I think it's a challenge you know I know a bunch of people with uh disabilities and stuff right and and they keep mm-hmm. ending up in these positions where the person who's not ex- the primary person experiencing the loss right in this case like not me or, or in their case the person who's not experiencing the disability but then they're having a reaction to it and a reaction to their reactions and then all of a sudden it's it's both all about the situation but also not about the person who's actually experiencing it. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that's, that's complicated to sort of live with, you know? And so like later on when the fire happened, you know, I just, I, I remembered a lot of these things that I had learned from this, from losing my brothers and was like, you know, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to have this. I'm going to like, I'm going to control the, the narrative and the direction. And I'm going to control how I talk about it from when I talk about it so that, so that, so that I can have my experience and not have to hold other people's hands as much around it kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Understandable. And, you know, for people yeah. listening, there's, there's a, a lovely uh, model that I found somewhere, which, which is basically a series of concentric circles. Right. And uh, in the middle, you know, it's like the person suffering the trauma and then, mm-hmm you know and then it's like levels essentially levels of closeness to that person and to the situation in rings going out right and and the the label on the graphic basically said put poor support in towards the middle and reach out from the middle for support you know yeah for yourself right yeah yeah thinking about that where you're like if you have a reaction to somebody's hardship right don't don't try and get any support from them don't lean on them in any way right? Go to your friend and then process that somewhere else, you know, so that, so you're not adding stress to that person yeah. who's going through the thing themselves, you know? And even if you're partially going through it, right? Be very mindful that, mm-hmm. you know, each step removed you are from the situation, you know, it makes it different, right? And, and, and should make it different. And we should consider that if we can, as we can around these kinds of things, you know? Yeah. Did you ever feel like you, it sounds like you were able to take the uh, kind of the information, the experience and let it inform your um, sort of develop a way to have a boundary, you know, have, um, like you said, control the narrative. Um, but it almost seems like uh, uh, it, it doesn't even seem like coping. It just seems like an intentional um, developing of a, of how to keep you safe and protected and well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, coping, 
coping wise, especially in that situation, um, you know, I, uh, I basically just like leaned into supports, right? There's, uh, I think it's through the bereaved families group here in Toronto um, that had a, that offered support to people who'd lost someone to suicide, you know, and yeah. I was already on the list for when, uh, when my first brother died and when my second one died, they're like, we'll clear a spot come next week, you know? And, you know, and I did other therapy, like I, you know, I, I did all the things, right. Same yeah. after the fire, right. It's like, well, time to, time to lean back into my peer counseling. Yeah. Yeah. To- At least it was like familiar. So you had a little bit of, um, yeah. Experience with it. So having yeah. familiarity is really, um, can be really nice. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I've been doing peer counseling on and off since, the mid nineties, I guess, maybe a little later than the mid nineties. Nice. And, Mm -hmm. you know, having networks of people and having connections to people where the, the goal is to provide support and listen and share and where part of the goal is to develop your skill and capacity to be genuinely supported from others and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's, that's a huge thing, right? And if folks are interested in and in, in, in learning more about that, um, at the beginning of COVID, I put out a five five lecture free course on peer counseling stuff. Oh, and nice! Yeah, I, I do remember it. that. Yeah, and uh, and you can check it out. It's it's on my website under the free stuff tab. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I I wanted to ask a couple things that kept yeah, coming okay. into my head. Um, well, one having known how it feels to be a parent in the time of grieving and then you you almost want to make sure that you are there's some kind of buffer between um how you're parenting your children and how you're grieving internally like you you can't just pour that onto your children. You don't want to be dishonest and hide your feelings, but that's, that's challenging. I didn't know if maybe you had any thoughts on that, or if that was particularly difficult for you to do. I mean, I don't think I did it. I don't know that I did it great. Right. There are definitely Mm -hmm. a few times where I just kind of lost my, lost my beans because of what was going on, you know? And, um, you know, but also I think that like, I, so I had, I had a friend in high school named Jeff and Jeff worked one summer, maybe two summers on a sod farm. And so Jeff's job consisted of like 10 hours a day driving a tractor first half of the day mowing the lawn right by lawn you mean like whole farm of lawn right yeah yeah and the other half of the day or some part of the day with the harvester harvesting rolls of sod but basically just sitting in a tractor all day every day right Mm -hmm. and i i can't remember if i think he smoked some before that but i I remember like somebody asked me like why you smoke and he's like well imagine you could sit around all day every day (laughs) do nothing you could sit around all day every day and smoke like you might as well do something can't just sit there passively it's yeah and like you know you're my age so you remember like maybe you had a walkman with a cassette or two 
Oh so, yeah. You know, maybe you, maybe you had enough batteries, but the idea of like buying batteries and running batteries all day, every day, wasn't a thing that people really did in that time. No phones, no like anything, right? You're just there, right? In a yeah. way that, that now you're not, maybe you had a radio in the, in the tractor, I can't remember. But, uh, but it's, it's a very different time, right? And, <laughs> and for some reason, yeah. during, during that time, after, after the loss of my brothers, that, that expression came back to me, right? And that, uh-huh. that idea, it's like, you know, and I'm like, well, it's going to be, it's going to be crappy either way, but I got to do stuff. I have to, might as well do yeah. something with my time. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so, you know, I walked a lot. I walked my dog a lot. I would strap my, my youngest, you know, in like a baby carrier and just take them out for a walk or mm-hmm. in a stroller, you know, it'd be like, you know, I'm like, well, I can be miserable at home or I can be miserable watching my kid play on the playground. Like, yeah. you know, cause there were definitely days where even, even their joy could lift me out of my grief. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but you got to do something right for days afterwards, you know, like people would, people involved, like my dad or other people would say, well, we don't really know what happened. Right. And I wasn't there. Like, you know, I, I mm-hmm. lived, I lived downtown they lived there. Mm-hmm. Right? And like, you know, we don't know what happened. We don't really know what happened. And so you wanted to know and you were trying well, to find and, out. And when they and when they finally told me what had happened, I was like, there's nothing ambiguous here about this, right? Like yeah. it's obvious that the method of death was deliberate and intentional, right? Yeah. And but there had been this story, and even afterwards, right? Like, you know, like because he'd been in the process of being diagnosed for mental health issues and whatever. And so it's fair, you know, I'm not saying it's unfair to say. <laughs> that that he didn't kill himself his mental health issues did right but but especially because of the initial super denial about it all right um that's a whole was, other topic that what you just said that right? did they kill themselves or did their mental health cause that i mean yeah. that's such a ooh, that's yeah. a doozy and you know and and i think the answer is you know they, they took the actions and because they couldn't overcome what was going on inside themselves. How do right? you differentiate? I mean, that's my I, I, question. I don't, right? Like I right. Don't. other people. I know. Do, I don't but, think I could. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but with your holistic uh, beings. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but with, with my, with the brother who was closest to me uh, who, who overdosed uh, I had those questions for sure, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and I I ended up following up with the the police, the case officer with the police department about it. You yeah, know? and and he's like, he's like, well, we're waiting on toxicology or what, like whatever he said, right? Like, yeah, he's like, call back in two weeks or whatever, right? And so I called him back and we talked and and. And he like gave me some facts and whatever. And he's like, well, what does he really want to know? I'm like, I'm like, I want to know if it was, if it was deliberate or if mm-hmm. it was accidental. Right. And he was like, based on the reports and based on the amounts and stuff like this, um, we consider it accidental. You know, it was not yeah. like a, a grievous over yeah. overdose. Right. It was like, you know, and so, you know, that gave me, some comfort, right? You know, like yeah, that, that those details matter so much, don't they? Yeah, right. You know, and and I, I also think that, like, you know, for me, my spirituality helped a lot, right? You know, like I had 
reading that that warned of problems, right? You know, and I knew what was going on with my brother, and I called him at work the, the day, like the the day he died, yeah. right? And was like, because I've been talking to him because he he'd had a problem in his relationship and was like staying at a friend's and whatever. And he'd been sober and, and so on. Right. And I was like, dude, just come stay with us for a day. Come, come stay with me for a couple of days. Right. Like hang out, we'll feed you, we'll take care of you. You can, you know, like you don't even have to hang out. You can have the extra space in the extra room. Like just, you know, just, just basically I was like, just stay away from like the bars and everything else kind of thing. Right. And he's like, it's like, it's totally fine. I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, and then, you know, and I called him that like the day it happened and was like, let me come pick you up after work. Like, let's go get a slice of pizza. Let's go like talk and hang out a bit or come back to the house or whatever. And he's like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to like, you know, go back to go back to where he was staying and, you know, like just deal with stuff. Right. And I was like, I'm like, all right, you know, cause you can't make people do stuff right at a certain time, you know? And it's so hard to have that feeling yeah. <laughs> and not be able to control the situation. It's so yeah. hard. But, you know, I, but I really did feel like, you know, I mean, I had my moments where I didn't, but I really didn't do now felt like short of going down there and grabbing them by the ear and dragging them yeah. home. Yeah. What else? You did do, everything. Right? Yeah. And this is, this is a grown man. Like you're not, that's not going to yeah. happen, you know? So, uh, so that, so that you also- talk about, the love that people offered you post loss, it's almost like you, you could envision what it would be like. And you did every single thing in your power to extend that love you were feeling and trying to prevent something from happening, but also just letting him know, which I think is the important thing that your love knew no bounds. You would do whatever it took. You were offering that. And so that has to, have lifted you in a way that like I experienced, what else could I have done? What could I, you know, I think people like go to this guilt place, like they could have done so much more. Um, But it's, that's, that sounds like the way to be in my opinion, that's what you did. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, people are listening to this and they're struggling with this stuff, right? There, there is a real limit to what you can do, right? You can't necessarily. Yeah. And you can't beat yourself about that you know and like yeah and I, I spent a lot of time this is also like retroactive idea right because I spent a lot of time talking to people about what could I've done could have done this could have done that mm. you know? and so like, you still had those feelings sure right especially because yeah. it takes time to get that clarity about it right like, yeah. like you don't you don't usually look at somebody and think I mean if people have if people are saying they're suicidal that's a different matter right maybe you do have these thoughts but like in a case like this or even with my other brother you know, didn't look at them and think, oh my God, they're, they're at risk right now. Right. You look at them and say, oh, they're struggling. Can I help? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's different than like, oh my God, I think they might take their life. What can I do? But even then the outcome is kind of the same, right? You can only yeah. do a certain range of things. And, you know, I, I remember talking to someone in my religious community who's, you know, who's like, one of their siblings had killed themselves and they basically were like, you know, we were going by every day. We were like, everybody was doing this, everybody was doing that. And the first window of opportunity where they were unsupervised, they did. And that was it. How do you find meaning in life again? How, How did the spirituality bring you back? 
at one point there was a red-winged blackbird and it um it flew really close to me you know and usually they don't get that close to people and uh so it really caught my attention and and it would sort of move like up you know like 10 feet down the path and then come back and so i started following it and and it kept up that pattern and uh you know eventually sat set itself in this tree and so i i went there and i sat under the tree and i started meditating and and the, the bird hung there singing for quite a while and then i felt this real intense connection to the tree and to to that place and i and i sort of was the first time i put it together i was like oh this bird has led me here to do this and um and so i you know started looking for those kinds of things right and then that became more and more of a, a thing over time right and you know and now I often find that they'll come and visit me and you know uh, I had this great experience where I was like riding my bike at dusk and this owl swooped up and landed in a tree and I stopped my bike and we were like 10 feet from each other we both just hung out there for a really long time until it left you know and yeah I think that it just sort of starts that way and now now there's there's a real depth of connection